With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What's going on, everybody? Hope you are having a good week. So this week on the podcast, well, actually, before we get to the podcast, I have a new record out called Run Run. I'd absolutely love it if you went and listened to it and hit me up on the DMs or on Instagram or whatever. You contact me on Twitter and let me know if you like it. If you do like it, share it with your mates. I'd love you forever. Anyway, promo train is over and now we can get to the podcast. And this week we have Waze. Waze, some of you may know previously as Waze and Odyssey um, and now gone their separate ways and Waze, aka Faraz, is doing his thing and I'm loving it. I've always loved both the guys, um, but it's been really, really good to catch up with Waze. Uh, I, we haven't ever had a conversation this long in ever. Um, we speak a lot about when we first met um, and just a lot about the industry and how we feel things are going to change and how we've changed as, as people it was a really, really nice conversation. It was two hours. It was a long one. And I just hope you listen to all of it and enjoy it. So without further ado, ways. Here we go. And we are live. What's going on, fella? Yeah, good. How are you? Yeah, really good, man. We were literally just talking about that the last time we saw each other was at the US Embassy, which is a very random because thousands of people go through there every day and we were like literally next to each other in line three years we, ago you've just brought it back to me as well we bumped into orlando as well inside really? the teed it was it was the funniest <laughs> day because we've never had that happen before but um we you were just in front of us yeah um and we, us two were nattering behind you and then uh but yeah uh back to uh back to uh, a distant time yeah when we're not allowed to um not allowed to leave our houses, pretty much. We're an hour a day. <laughs> I know the freedom of movement that we had was it was amazing. Let's be honest, and hopefully, you know, hopefully it'll come come back. Uh, yeah, on a scale, or you know, maybe a bit more of a conscious scale uh, than than before. Yeah, I don't know. What What do you think it's going to go back to? Do you think it's just we're just creatures creatures of habit, and it will have, when everything decides to go away, it's going to just be like, okay. We're back, back to how it was. Tough one, isn't it? Because I think, I think even though it feels like a long time, say a decade later, a year or two years might seem like a short period of time, and then totally, boom, it went straight back. Yeah, I was, I was verging on a bit more on the oh, I think things will change, but I'm not, I'm not sure. A couple of people have said to me, um, humans are quite creatures of habit, so yeah. they'll just go well, back to back to the old school. Uh, ways of doing things if it could change how like what would you want to ch want it to change um i think probably from from a from a uh climate point are we talking about flights and touring or life everything uh i think that people probably um have stopped 
during this period of time. Yeah. And I think that's a really positive thing. Mm. I think that there's more appreciation of what uh, we had, I suppose. And yeah. uh, because this, in this period, I think, you know, you'll probably understand this. Sometimes you feel like on a hamster wheel. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's only when you sit down, perhaps on a Sunday, that you really truly uh, reflect on, say, the mad That's week happened. that you've had. But sometimes it feels like you're going through a F1 track or something. Yeah, yeah. And, and and it's a bit of a race. So I, I, think that, uh, I think that people look at things a bit differently, maybe. But... Mm. I can't guess which way it's going to go. I mean, I think it'll be weird when we start going out again. I think that that'll definitely. I think it's going to be really weird. I think I don't know if people are going to be. Ner- I think I, I've got a feeling people are going to be nervous. Yeah, I could see that definitely. I think it's more so going to be the older lot that are going to be more nervous than the younger yeah. lot. Um, yeah. And I think there's probably going to be a lot less older lot going out as often. Yeah. Um, give it a year of being back to normal and everyone i feel like everyone would just be back to normal how do you think um do you think the like the industry is going to change or is there anything you would love to see change i think that uh in certain i i think with you know particular focus on music i think that there's a lot of tenacious characters should we say so yeah. I think there's a lot more friendliness across the board because of this, that there's, uh, the tone has changed uh, with lots of the ways that the industry interacts with each other. Yeah. I think, I think that's been a positive. Again, it, you know, um, it's been lean times, as they say, so um, chance to reflect and think. But I think it's, it's a tough one to predict with the industry. I think that... You've got a few potentials, you know, you could have the resident scene developing and more people getting their shot at DJing um, or performing or playing out. Um, I think that in some respects as well, it might be tough financially for things to get moving again. There's obviously a lot of, I think at this point in this juncture in uh, hospitality and entertainment, nightlife as such, um, there's a lot of um, big uh beasts i suppose behind the scenes your live nations your sjms your um ags who have deep pockets and will be able to ride this out so perhaps there might be an element of some of those um companies taking on smaller venues um things are changing that's that's the thing i suppose it's anyone's guess how we how we do things how we um act and buy uh it's it's all kind of being questioned at the minute and modified and you know will people want to do at home kits a bit more than Mm. going out for a restaurant meal you know you don't know i do think that humans buzz off the company of other humans though so i certainly do think there will be a thirst to be around people whether it's in the pub in the club in a you know wherever it might be i think there's still that um bigger community aspect and angle that uh that makes people happen really i think community i think you hit the nail on the head with the word community is that we as human beings we as much as a lot of people don't say they don't like being around people and they like their loners and just stay in the studios or stay doing whatever they do community is such a key part in anyone's life and whether no matter how small or how big that community is for people it's about having the people around you at this moment in time None of us can have anyone around us out, uh, outside of our immediate family, really. Um, 
I I really want the uh, I really think there's I, and I, you you might be able to tell me differently, um, but I really think there's a massive divide in our industry between promoters, DJ <coughs> promoters, DJs and agents, where it's almost like everyone's fighting against each other rather than working with each other. Um, and it's like the agents, the DJs, the agents want more money. The DJs want more money. The promoters don't want to pay more money for the DJs or the, or the agents, et cetera. And then, but then the promoters are putting all the costs up front. And so it just doesn't feel right. I, I really like the idea of how the like live scene works where most of it's done splits on the door. Um, so how a promoter books you maybe covers your flight and your hotel and then everything is purely based on what you sell. And I, I love that to a certain extent because I think that's when promoters can start booking DJs based on their, not just on their ticket pool, on them as artists and really build like a real interesting foundation of parties again. Because I think at this moment in time, like I don't play in Europe very rarely at all, but I play in America a lot. And in America, in Europe, the lineups are the same, if you know what I mean, whether you go like, because these promoters, they're forking out a shit ton of money up front and they have to sell tickets. Whereas if you take that pressure off of having to sell tickets because they don't have the huge DJ fees and you still have cool acts, the acts can still get paid if the tickets get sold, if the promoter does a really good job and the acts work together. Um, I, I just like the idea of everyone working together a little bit more. I suppose it's got its... Uh formula hasn't it um i think those i think you know revenue splits are something i've, I've, I've they certainly happen i think yeah um and probably with bigger artists that will demand or ask for should we say yeah. a uh, a percentage of, of of the door revenue but certainly this it's something that happens mm. there will be new ways of doing things post this i mean i I've got a suspicion that that might be one of the models that some people are looking at to for when people come out of this yeah. um, and to get things going again, rather than having to outlay um, loads of money mm. on talent expenditure. Yeah. Um, and especially when you're paying it up front, you know? No, yeah, totally. I think, um, I think it could be an interesting way. I, I know I got asked to do a show in London for night tales in January, which got canceled, obviously. But that was a that was a, a door split, and I was happy. It's, I'd rather do that. It helps everyone out. It keeps the door price down for the punters going. Um, just got to hope that everyone works as hard as each other to to get people in the venue. Really, yeah, exactly. But, you must be missing the states then, because um, yeah, you were over there quite a. <laughs> you know the story about? Can you remember? What? <laughs> when Miami, someone says that, can you remember? I'm like, oh god, this is dangerous. Can you in Miami the first time you met? No, I will if you remember. Remind me. 
So we were at the disclosure party. Oh shit, yes, I do remember. <laughs> <laughs> it just came back to me then. That's amazing. You were so you were so polite and it was only towards the end you were like because I so we were chatting, yeah. I suppose to give some context to the story. We were chatting um and i'd for some reason mistaken you for uh kill frenzy, kill frenzy yeah and spent we spent like 20 minutes having a really nice chat and then it's only at the end that um it kind of dawned <laughs> dawned on me that you weren't uh belgium and uh you were from somerset in the states and and that, that was quite funny but yeah that happened a lot in my like early when, that was years ago yeah, it must have been. We were there with, I remember, we were there with Jonas Rassman. I mean, not... Yeah, you were with Jonas Rassman. Yeah, Jonas was there. I think he was playing, maybe. Yeah, so I played the the first set and the last set, and he played uh, He played just before uh, Disclosure. Right. Um, but yeah, that happened a lot. Used to happen all the time. <laughs> um, when I first started kind of tour in america everyone thought i was kill frenzy and then everyone thought kill frenzy was me <laughs> so we'd like especially at like festivals and stuff where we were playing at the same time people would be like which one's which don't know but um he he shaved his hair and shaved his beard off so it kind of helped me to be fair <laughs> oh i just made it made me uh think back then to miami that was a great that was a great trip Felt like that was that was the Brits abroad year. That felt like to me. There was just a big everyone crew yeah. of people out there discovering it. For the, it was it kind of come back on the radar. I think it had, yeah. uh, it had a bit of a lull, mm. admittedly, but it, it certainly started shifting. That was the time it felt like the that UK sound was was kind of shifting over a little bit. You know, Dusky were there. Dusky uh, disclosure, disclosure. Jonas was there. Gorgon Boys. We yeah. we we had a. We we stayed in some ramshackle hotel because it's always a nightmare trying yeah. to get accommodation for Miami. You're never sure on what gigs you've got, um, or very last minute. And we, as often we did, we'd share a room, me and Serge. And uh, I remember we had so many people back to our room one night. It was it was like <laughs> I think one of the Gorgon lads or somebody sat on Serge's laptop, um, which was which was like oh one of those moments. Um, but yeah, it was funny. Just how many people can you get into a room? I'm pretty sure you came. Did you maybe? That was probably kill frenzy. No, the, the, I, Justin Martin came and like Dusky. Oh yeah, uh, I think I was there. Um, and it was in some little corner room. But yeah, mm. good memories, of Miami. I kind of never really liked. I kind of grew to love Miami in the end. I really? To, I had yeah, like a love hate like with it. it. <clears throat> I, you hated it. I I I know. I I have like a love hate relationship with like the wmcs or miami music week they call it now like it's just that like it's so fun but it's also such a shit show <laughs> at the same time it's, it's organized chaos you kind of look at it and it, it'll be interesting it's one of those things that are kind of a bit almost it's ingrained to be like that yeah will it be different after all of this who knows no but, miami um, will stay the same it stayed the same throughout the whole of coronavirus <laughs> yeah it's kind of hard to keep. I think DJs club hop so much, and they can play sometimes yeah. twice in one night, and that's that's weird because there's a there's an ebb and flow, I suppose. Yeah. But as as a place, I you know kind of started to like it and think it's just it's sunny. It's, yeah. uh You know, it, it's it's nice weather than that. But it was it was cool. We got you know depending on the sort of promoter that you had uh, looking after you, mm. 
you get to see so much for City. Yeah. And, um, I, you know, I'm really grateful to this couple. I think once we played at Bardot and they took me down to the arts district to hang out with some friends, have some drinks. And um, DJing in that respect was amazing because yeah. you'd have people pick you up and if they wanted to engage and kind of, you know, hang out, they would show you the best of that city. Yeah. And it's one thing I think about constantly now. It's, it's you know, you, I think we got to see um, so much of so many cities from a kind of local perspective, yeah. which was the coolest thing. Because, you know, I went traveling when I was in my early 20s and went to the States. And I look back to L.A. and I was so kind of petrified. It mm. was um, it was just so big and so new and um you don't know anyone there you don't know what's good you don't know what where yeah. to go you don't know where to avoid you don't know uh yeah it's 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 nothing but yeah that was i think one of the best things of kind of digging in under the surface i think of some of the particularly american cities you know yeah i think i think uh the american public as well were very especially if they're coming to see you in a club, they're very open to just like open their arms and show you they're like very city proud, very patriotic of their cities. And I've, I've got friends, I'm sure you, you do as well, but friends all over the States that every time I go to a different city, it's kind of like visiting the new friends and or visiting the old friends that you met last time and going for dinner and, and, and visiting around the cities. And I love that about, um, about america because each city you go to is just so different whereas in the uk like every city's different of course but we're so, we're such a small island that realistically like you can be in any city within about three hours if you especially if you live in the middle this is one of the perspectives i think that i've been ingrained with from being lucky enough to travel the states yeah. we live in a on a tiny island yeah. i mean even the very thought of getting a train to um, Scotland is mm. just, well, not hard to fill that time. You know, when you've no. done, I mean, there was, a, there was a peak, there was a, there was a period, as I'm sure you had, where it was just yes to everything, mm. no matter what, um, which was, uh, I think it builds some resilience in you yeah, totally. to go through that. But you come out the other side going, that was exhausting. Yeah. But the number of cross um states flights i do within a short space of time was 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 nuts and, and you just sleep on the plane the but plane, yeah the yeah. uk is is tiny and i think i think we'll probably see that a bit more again probably people moving slightly away from major metropolises but then again it's gonna you know places like london there's there's been a massive um exit of yeah. lots of people but i think in some ways it'll make it cheaper, more affordable, and yeah. you'll get more artists and creatives going back into the city with new ideas. Um, and it will be a whole other thing in 10 years time. No, I, to I totally agree. Oh. I 100% agree. Like where I live here, everyone from London has moved. <laughs> like it, literally all the, about 200 new houses have been built over coronavirus and they've all been sold before they were bought before they were built and it's all it's 90 percent of people from london just yeah. escaping london but you're right it's it's the same in new york like obscene amounts of people left new york and that just made, like property prices has gone down massively in new york i kind of like keep an eye on it and you're like it's, it's still expensive don't you wrong you're still in a major city but if you can get like a three bedroom apartment for less than a million dollars in New York, you're kind of laughing and there's a lot of them. Yeah. Um, 
and that allows that does bring rent down and makes creative places creative people go and it builds again it goes back to building communities again it builds interesting communities and takes the suits out of the city which is ideally the the good thing <laughs> have you ever played in zurich zurich no i haven't it kind of dawned on me that i mean london i moved to london in 2005 and it and it it was just a great time to move down there. It, it was still rough and rugged and raw. Yeah. <clears throat> so much stuff off the beaten track, you know? Mm -hmm. It's kind of, I think the, the sort of time when Banksy moved down was 2005. Yeah. From Somerset. And and Shoreditch and all of that had this real halcyon moment. Um, and it going back to the Zurich thing, thing, I felt like it all changed a little bit after the Olympics. Mm -hmm. 2012, it definitely became... You know, it was an advert for London on an international scale. Yeah. Um, I think the city's so such a big thing, and it just put pushed up prices. You know. Yeah. <clears throat> what What was What was going on with Zurich? Um, it, it, it referring back to that point, it was um, it was just a bit bland. Yeah. Just a bit, and and it kind of struck me as as very what London could become. Yeah. Um, and this is kind of maybe held is going to hold that back a little bit um because it's just a fantastic city and i think you, we need to remember that a lot of the culture that brings people to london uh, and a lot of almost the history isn't yeah. it? it's the social fabric of the city mm -hmm. um let's not lose that um I, yeah i totally agree that's why i love bristol it's like i live like 30 minutes from here from there and it's just this city that i feel like it doesn't ever get taken over by blandness there's like so much creativity that happens there and there's so many kind of like different people living opposite each other that it kind of keeps the culture um i guess that's why there's so much music that comes out of bristol itself it's got rich history it has hasn't it but thinking about it england has insane history musically compared to the rest of the world. This is what is baffling about um, the current government. And, yeah. uh, you know, we, we saw it with the Brexit negotiations, they're focused on um, fishing rights, which equates to um, a, a kind of a nominal amount in comparison mm. to the, you know, the income that um, musicians bring in. I think I read the other day, Ed Sheeran paid something like 30 million pounds in tax last year yeah that's I wild mean, ah so it's probably uh, the fishing that's probably the fishing industry <laughs> in one person well exactly you've got people like Adele. i mean it's uh it's it's bizarre to be honest that um that i think more thought or consideration uh you know, really isn't isn't given to i mean the, i think the visa situation for any of us is probably slightly concerning um, with regards to going to Europe and performing, you know, mm. like Canada from your experience, I'm sure you'll know as, as well. It's, it's, you, you get a letter and you yeah. let in, you know, very relaxed in Canada, isn't it? Yeah. Obviously kind of got some formality to it. The States, you need your visa. Yeah. Um, you know, Australia, you need to do a tax return, et cetera, et cetera. How hard will it be to go to Europe with, you know? Yeah. Europe, I, I, um, I think like, Obviously, I'm all, f I'm all against leaving Europe 100%. Um, 
but I've seen like a lot of like kick up in the like the artist community, which I totally understand and I get it. But at the end of the day, we're a completely different country now. We're pa- we're not part of it, if you know what I mean. And what do we do to everybody else that's not part of our country? Like we make them get visas. We 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 so as much as it's frustrating, I do understand that. I just wonder. I just I just don't think that they can possibly make it that hard because we'd just make it just as hard for them and they need us and we need them if that makes sense so i don't i just don't really know how it's going to go it's a little bit like for like isn't it yeah you can you can understand why they they're going to put in totally those sorts of measures but you know um it's just making things it's going to make things more complicated for us, for us uh, yeah you know but uh I, yeah it's, I, I i was reading something and it was saying that it's only after a certain amount of time that we're so like if we spend more than 30 days in Europe, but I could be wrong. I could have just read it wrong. I'm not the best reader, but after 30 days is when you have to apply for a work visa. Right. Um, I don't know. At the end of the day, we can't fucking go anywhere at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I've started to miss it more recently. Yeah. I think there was, it, in some ways it's been, um, it's been good to have a break mm. but for me personally yeah no i agree uh, i agree um i think i was kind of re- ready for one it's been mm. it's been uh reinvigorating slightly um but i do miss it i mean i mean i i was so lucky the states for me was a, a real favorite place to go to to try and understand to try and get uh beneath the skin of it i suppose yeah. so to speak and i think probably managed that in New York and LA particularly and, mm-hmm. and spent really good amounts of time there. Um, used to have some friends in LA that let me cat sit for them essentially. Yeah, um, shouts to Lisa and Alex um, and Rathbone and Nancy the cats. <laughs> uh, and they've got a lovely spot up in Laurel Canyon. Nice. Uh, they, they've got a project called Fleet Mac Wood, which is uh, a tribute to... Oh, cool. uh, um, and yeah, it was... It was amazing. It, I, I look back and just the, the freedom I had, you know, getting on a bike in the summer in in Brooklyn, cycling around, experiencing loads of different record shops and food, meeting so many people. I yeah. think music, again, one of those great icebreakers. You go to a city, you yeah. build up such a crew of people. I used to spend a lot of time with Gavin from Walker and Royce. Um, Legend. Always, always catch up with him in, in New York. Um Ali Escobar is another one. I'd always kind of run into him um, out and about. And yeah, it's, I've, I've missed that. Uh, I think in, in more recent weeks, I've started to think I'm looking forward to it all kind of starting, but in a more moderate way, I think it's, it's, um, there's an intensity. I think you'll, I'm sure you'll agree with that can be quite overwhelming after a while. And I think you have to do things in a considered way. And I suppose, I think it's probably been a good thing in some ways for lots of artists to reassess and reconfigure. Um, And, you know, you look at things, don't you, a little bit. Um, I've tried to break music down again to being a hobby in a weird way. It's nice that, man. I like that. You're the the first person that's said that, like, ever. That I've, like, again, it's gone from music being a full-time and it obviously it still is a full-time thing for you but having that look on it oh it's been it's been liberating i mean it's been 
I realised how in it I was. Mm. And to kind of step back has been really good. Yeah, I bet. Um, it's just been... I mean, I've got a side project called Night House, which is a bit more anything goes. Um, Ways, I suppose, is a bit more of the kind of uh, jump up electronic dance, you know, yeah. happy dance music um, geared towards radio, mm-hmm. um, that sort of thing. But Ninth House was a real good step in the right direction just to take risks. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I was slightly underwhelmed by some of the music out there and felt like it was getting a bit stale. Yeah. Um, again, building up your experience from going through the process of doing it. Yeah. Couldn't get something signed at the beginning, then, then, um, got some bits signed, um on labels that i loved and it just gave me the confidence spurred me on and i think the only thing i realized from it was just do it yeah um, and not it's been nice to step out of the overthinking stage and and uh i'm sure you'll attest to this but there can be a lot of high dramas in uh electronic music <laughs> uh, and music in general it's just the nature of the beast it's that kind of those kind of quite gregarious characters that oh, man. are uh, you know i'm going through one at the moment i'm going i'm going through a splits argument and i'm just like it's so much there's so much more stress and it's like we all started a record with all the best intentions to write a great record yeah and now the business side of it it's when the business side of it comes in that's that's when the characters come out that i find and it's like people get greedy and you're like well and sometimes it's marginal gains because mm-hmm. uh, it can come down to say like a, a small small thing, and instead of allowing the track to happen, yeah, you've then got you know a disagreement, and it kills the energy of the record. I mean, that's that's been a key thing uh, for me is to work with people that you kind of you really buzz off anyway. Totally. And, uh, I've been really lucky with some of this new ways music that will be coming later this year. It's um, it's felt very natural. Yeah. Like people I've collaborated with, I've wanted to um, collaborate with them. I've wanted to work with them. It's not felt forced. Mm. Um, it's felt really natural. And it's got better after building a relationship and again building that community rather yeah. than you know. There's been experiences where you're thrown in a room with someone and expected to write and you don't know anything about them. Yeah. Um, so just even in, you know, I'm like to think I'm fairly social so I would like to you want to build a relationship before you call them and say hey first yeah um and then you kind of maybe do a FaceTime or something and just get comfortable and then you know then next you're in a room with them writing yeah. and it's like oh yeah cool and it you create a space a lot of it is about creating that space where someone feels relaxed you know you don't know what goes on through other people's heads as well are totally. they feeling pressured yeah. to write something are they feeling a bit you know um, but yeah, I think that I can see the, the nitty gritty side, um, which is always important to consider and you have to, um, really look after that. Uh, it, it takes the shine off the creative side. Yeah, massively. It's, it is rough. It is rough, but I, you're 100% right when working with somebody or people or whoever, like that, that relationship is so key so key and i think when that relationship is really strong you guys will just do anything that it takes to make sure that the record comes out and the record is good at the end of the day and i think that's what makes a better record really like <clears throat> listen i listen to rick rubin podcast quite a lot and i don't know if you've checked any of them out but they're unreal he's got a podcast called broken record 
Um, and you can just tell everybody that he has on, uh, pretty much all artists that he's worked with or had some association with, and their relationship is so deep. And then you t totally understand why the music that comes out is so good because th th it's not surface level shit. It's real, like, they know everything about yeah. each other. Like, I was listening to the James Blake one and it was, James was at his studio, Strangler's, and spent i think like three months there and literally lived at the studios met his now fiance or something there and you're just like you're you're changing people's lives when in relationships when making music if 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 that connection is right and i think it has to be to make the best possible music 100 percent. i think i've understood a lot more of the uh what what producers do, so to speak, you know, beyond mm. the, you know, in a traditional kind of uh, music studio, you would have the engineer at the controls, yeah. who's probably the junior, and then the producer. And the producer would be sat in a chair, and he probably used yeah. to be the engineer, mm -hmm. but now has risen up to, you know, you look at Jimmy Iovine yeah. um, as, a, as a good example. Um, and speaking to people that produce records for people as well, you know, I kind of just started talking, friends with a guy called Ollie Boxed In. We did okay. some tracks um, uh, under the Ninth House. Mm. Uh, I think we worked together and amazing fun, like amazing individual. Um, and I kind of just said to him, so I can imagine with the band, you're kind of in the middle wading through the little eccentricities and nuances yeah. that this dynamic has. And he said, that's probably 80% of it. Mm -hmm. And, it's, and if you think, you know, you can have uh, you can have quite fractious or tense relationships within yeah. um, those sorts of situations. Um, and that person acts as a bit of an anchor to kind of, one, provide perhaps a certain s style, a sound. Yeah. You know, good good producers will be consistent. They will have had some success, but they'll be respected. They'll be known for what they do, yeah. you know. Um, but, but a lot of it is just probably being slightly cool and going, that's right. Mm. So, because you're going to have like some, I'm sure you'd have the lead singer and the lead guitarist going, that top riff's the one. Yeah. No, no, it's not. Mine is. And it's it's less about what's good for the act or the band or the project or the album. Or the ego. The ego. It's more about <laughs> I don't want to lose. Yeah. Which is ridiculous when you think of it. But yeah. you can see how people get trapped in that. So it's almost having... It's having another pair of eyes. It's having mm -hmm. it's it's like a you know like a coach or it's it's having somebody nurture the best. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and that's why I, you know I'd love to at some point later down the line I think move into that that world a little bit and um, experience that because I think it could be a lot of fun and you're working you know you're trying to make um, someone's songs come to life so to speak. Do you, I think the thing that appeals to me the most about being a producer is like having the best people at what they do in one room. And I guess I like I've started doing it in lockdown where I've I've had sessions with songwriters, singers, key players, like the things that I'm not the best at doing myself, but having other people that can do it so much better than what I can do. Yeah. Um and that's what appeals to me about being a producer is that you've got this like amazing amount of talent in the room and 
just be- down to how you are as a person can bring the best out of people. And that's 100%. all down to the relationship. And I think I, you're right. You're right. And I think as I'm pretty sure you'll agree with me in the like house and techno kind of industry, you're expected to do everything. Some like, and it's, it's going more the other way now, but even in the like, there's so many techno producers that have never written a single record, but claim they wrote the record, but they, and they won't give credit to the people that produced the record or engineered the record or et cetera, et cetera. And I think there's this really strange thing where we have to do everything ourselves. And that's not what creates the best music. You become, it's, it's, uh, there's an amazing pop producer who kind of, who, who, I mean, he did the Hot Natured album mm-hmm. called Mark Ralph. Yeah, he's amazing. He he taught me so much. Yeah. I mean, it's a, a lot of it is down to our the relationship and him kind of just being such an amazing person that he'd meet you for breakfast. I did studio sessions with him probably around 2008, 9, 10. Yeah. And that's when I was just working in my laptop and I was, um, you know, going to a studio in West London. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was just starting to... You know, Jamie Jones had just appeared on the scene and um, he was kind of having a little bit of a moment. Um, yeah. And I remember telling me and my friend Jay, we're working with him, and he and we said to go and check him check him out at Glastonbury, which he did. Um, and then, you know, he had amazing tastes. But he, he used to say to us in these studio sessions, you know, do you want to be the artist or mm. the engineer? And I think the thing that people forget is that it can be quite a lonely place spending 10 hours a day on your own yeah. uh, making music. Some people do it and do it really well. And that that's just their thing. But um, I went through a stage of doing it um, a fair bit and I had to break up the process and the way that I was doing stuff and, mm. and start to formulate in my head. And it's helped watching music documentaries. It's helped watching stuff like the defiant ones. And yeah. you kind of see, it's great to see Jimmy Iovine next to Dr. Dre. Mm. Dr. Dre is the guy that did it all, yeah. you know, pretty much, you know, he, he was kind of that first, okay, I'm a producer artist. Prior to that, you'd, you know, people would go into a studio and have somebody engineer, you know, yeah. there's, there's always talk about lots of quite big famous musical artists that are the ones with the, the vision and mm-hmm. the ideas um the technical side is is a real frustrating thing to get your head around yeah, and yeah. plays very much into my process now is if i write i try and get the idea down and then i'll produce it yeah <clears throat> but i'll still get a mix down done you yeah, know? yeah. <clears throat> do you so do you get the get a mix down externally yeah, I've got, I mean, nice. I started to think to myself that I'm not happy with the sound in my room. Yeah. Um, I think I can get it. I think I can get it there. It's just having a second pair of ears on it, I think is often good. Um, so I work, I mean, I can work with a variety of different people really, but they can really add so much. Yeah, and, man, massive. And there's only so far that you can go doing it yourself. And what, what are you doing? Are you wanting to create the ideas or are you wanting to finish it off? <clears throat> you know get that extra 20 percent out of it but yeah. it can be soul destroying when you the reason i moved to start doing that was because you could spend a week on a record mm. and then you listen to the first version and you go i preferred that <laughs> <clears throat> excuse me which is the worst because you've spent so long <laughs> but that's the part of, if if that's the part of the creative process then it is 
Um, who do you use? Um, I've used Kevin from Wired Masters. Yeah. Who is fantastic. He's great. And he did, he did a, one of the Ninth House tracks that I released with Dusky. Mm. Um, and then we used him for another, we, we used him for a Ways and Odyssey track as well. And then I work a lot with Craig Mack, okay. um, who's from Mack and Basement. So, oh, really? Uh, is, yeah, is he doing stuff? He, yeah, DJ House put us in touch. And I was, I was just getting frustrated with certain, a little bit with my room, but I just thought to myself, I'd rather, it was a new process to go through. You send off the mm. stem he puts it through his outboard and that's the thing he's focused on that yeah that's become his focus which you know again like i feel like i can get it to a a level that i'm really happy with but i think until i'm in some really pro professionally treated studio there's a lack of confidence slightly and and usually it's just little tweaks i think he's really upped his game recently craig has um anyway he's just investing a load more kit you can really hear the difference but it's um, yeah, it's it. When it comes back, you listen to it and you go, okay, is this ready to come out? Yeah. Um, and I might be like, okay, actually, just take this little bit out here. It doesn't need it, and you can mm. just look at it in a in a kind of a way as such as you're revising it. Yeah, yeah, um, totally. And it and it gives it that. There's a bit of pressure that comes with that of like, oh, it's ready. Mm um so yeah it's been it's been it's been great to i think it, it just takes a little bit of the pressure off of going, of going okay is that he's spotted bits before and just gone you know just change this a little bit or there's a little phase on this i don't know what you've done and i look into it and i'm like oh god that but i think i ideas 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 that's the currency that's the i mean legally you know you've got i've been trying to engage my brain with uh regards to the actual like the legal documents that govern yeah. what music is and you've got your publishing which is the composition which is the idea that's the yeah. melody that can be just someone on a piano going dum, dum, dum. yeah um and then you've got the master yeah. of course which is the recording and it's it's quite interesting when you do start to get your head around it and also seeing it at uh we we were lucky with the ways and odyssey projects we did some bits with major labels and you really start to see the teams that yeah are involved and and you know i think people want to profess that oh it's just me in a in a room but everyone from the chemical brothers to calvin harris gets mixed downs i yeah. mean it's uh it is just part of the beast i think there's a lot of confusion about how extreme and like you say there's some techno producers that haven't ever written a track but have released etc yeah very true there's you know but then there's people that have a little bit of help. And I think there's this, I think, yeah, people get a bit confused about what help is needed when, and at least, you know, I used to say to certain friends and colleagues, you know, people don't make movies on their own. No. You know, you've got your producer, you've got your director, you've got your script writer, you've got your guy that does the grading on to make it look Good. really nice, yeah. you know, uh, on, on screen and so on. But um, yeah, I think also the element of being locked away is, it's there's no community there's no, no buzz and i think that's what's stifling some of the creativity i think that getting loads of people into a room well not loads because then you've got loads of opinions but um at least getting people into a social scenario i mean that over mono project looks like a lot of fun and i think they just keep on hunkering down and <laughs> going to like a bit of an analog 
and writing music and eating like spaghetti and drinking red wine and and I'm like that's the way you do it there's a romanticism for me in that in who, that who is it um it is I should know this note now it's um I think Joy Orbison's associated with it it is I'd have to, I'd have to google it because it's two artists that come together they are literally like my favorite artists at this moment in time Oh, some of this, I mean, you can tell they've got the imagination. I think that's the point I'm trying to get to is that um, I think you have to snap out of the kind of routine of what you're doing sometimes and mix it up and actually enjoy it as something a bit different. I love the romanticism of the Rolling Stones renting a house in Italy to record Exile on Main Street. I think that's super cool. I think that... um, I think that's the way that you harness the creativity. I think that, um, I think that the way we do it is quite—it's not that intuitive sometimes. I well, think. I think the thing is—is is, uh, tell me if you think I'm wrong, but we're trying to be creative. We're, be, we're trying to be creative people and create really interesting things in terms of music. Yet we're not living our lives in that creative way we're looking very one-dimensional and it and you say like overmono going to devon analog uh rolling stones doing that like going to rent a place in the middle of nowhere like that automatically takes you out of where you're used to going and just it takes the whole creativity. You you don't do what you normally do. You don't look at the same wall, wall that you're looking at. You don't have the same surroundings. It, it really helps the creativity side of it. There's been reading into and, and learning a lot about something called flow, which is a creative mm-hmm. mindset for, I suppose it's the reason you'd write a track in 45 minutes. Yeah. Um, it flows. You're yeah. in the zone nothing matters and i think changing location is is a great way or getting yourself into that mindset yeah um i went to devon Devon analog and i finished and wrote some music but i finished a load of stuff that ended up coming out on 17 steps which i'm super happy with but i think it was august uh obviously not the one just gone but the year before so 20 2019 and i did three nights there it's amazing i mean you just go into a zone you you buy your food your shopping and your wine etc for for a couple of days and and you lock yourself away and you just tinker and and um it, it was a brilliant experience i can't wait to go back does tristan uh, do, is tristan there as well engineering no he just leaves you but he kind of the first time we went down me and serge went down yeah. um so I, I suppose he susses you out i think you get the old character that maybe comes down and gets a bit excited and starts banging on the very expensive synths yeah so i think he, he kind of monitors you a little bit but this time last time i went down it was just straight in on the computer um writing riffs it's all set up so intuitively i mean i can they're a lovely couple as well they they cooked me dinner one night and brought it over to the um amazing the little rave barn and we had some red wine um but yeah like it feels like a home from home that place but just a great example of um getting out of getting out of your rigmarole and you see so many friends down there you know you see uh, Melee seems to have had a really good time that. every time he's yeah. gone down. Um, but yeah, I think that alludes, I think that's a, a genius thing of having something that's accessible. Yeah, I've, it's always it's always been a goal for me, um, and it still is. 
but because I live in, I pretty much live in the same, same as what dev and analog is. And I've always had this, I really want to build a studio, not like dev and analog because I, I want to do more band orientated stuff. And I want to have a studio that has like a live room and lots uh, kind of a bit of a, not just uh analog gear really just kind of more where some a band can go rent it out for a month and and kind of build that but in the middle of nowhere nothing yeah. around you that's always been kind of a goal for me and coming back home for a long i've never i've not been back for this long in six years i don't think um and it's really made me realize like how much i want to do that and how much it helps creative people to just get at the fuck out of where they live <laughs> really and get out of their studios yeah I having that time the you know as part of flow you need the release period which is sometimes going on a walk etc mm. so you can almost formulate uh, an idea first stage second stage is going for a walk third stage you come back and kind of work on it or yeah try and uh try and get it down on paper but yeah i'm uh my studio is now at home um i did have one um, in North London and yeah. it was always funny um, I think I go between wanting the travel time but actually not wanting the travel time yeah. so at the minute right now it works for me to be at home mm-hmm. it's great but having it in North London it was great as well and there was a community element and it's a great little space yeah. where I was there was I was next to Matt and Kai from Gorgon oh cool uh, Matt Kidnap was in the next studio um, Wookie um like so many other contemporaries and like friends and and i love that and i love that kind of like community angle but obviously during this period of time it's been a bit uh been a bit more comfortable to just be at home i think there's i've always had home studios until i lived in la and then i had a studio on like sunset and wow it was like really it was really interesting because I my studio was tiny. It was like the vocal booth of a mate of a big <laughs> studio, <laughs> um, but it was literally on like sunset and um, I can't remember. But it was literally like, yeah, in the thick of it. And when I first started going, I really enjoyed it. And then I I had it for four months, and then. I like evaluated all the music that I wrote during that four months and it was all terrible and that like none of it worked or anything like that. And I think the reason is because I've always had a home studio. So I've always just woke up, trained, gone into the studio and it's just, I just feel comfortable in here. Whereas going there, it was like, it was almost like, it's still a full-time job, but it wasn't my home and I couldn't feel comfortable and I kind of like had to like, it just didn't feel mine. And coming, like I set up a studio in my place in Detroit um, and also I have one here and it's just like, I love it. I love being able to just get, wake up, go in your pants and sit in the studio and just not have to worry. However, it goes back to what we're saying. I do love, like, if I've got a studio day in London, I love going somewhere else. But yeah. for me to, tr- for, for my daily studio, I wouldn't want it to be outside of my home, I don't think. Variety is a spice, I think, yeah. isn't it? Having that familiarity where you know you can go and do something very quickly in your own comfortable space, but then having the 
I think the um, excitement and just the difference of yeah. going, oh, I'm on the train to London, I'm getting here, I'm doing this. and But that can equally come with its uh, kind of pressures because you're like, oh, I've got, got to, got to make to this write. work. And yeah. then you start forcing it um, and perhaps can be a bit more of a challenge, you know? Yeah, well, I, I like, I don't know about you, but I, wor- I like to work with pressure. So I, I'd rather be like, okay, well, you have to do something. And I usually come up with something a bit better than what I usually would is if I was to go in there and be like, fuck it, just mess about. I don't know yeah. why that is, that works for me, but I'd rather, like if I was to use a studio in London, I'd just rent the studio out for like three days. So yeah. then it kind of takes a bit of that pressure off. It, you can sleep over, you can kind of have a bit more time to yourself than just driving up studio, drive back home. Yeah. Um, Oh. Might have been different. I mean, we had we Red Bull were very good to us and supported us in LA and New York with free studio time. And I oh, remember um, LA were trying to be a bit uh, interesting with it. So I've got a friend, Chris Simon, who um, he's got a record label called Pfeiffer. He's based in LA. Um, he he uh, came into the studio with me in in LA, and we had a bass player that he's friends with and we all just jammed and that was quite fun. Whereas I went to New York on my own and I had, I think a day in, in the like Red Bull studio. And it was, I look back and I'm like, Oh my God, those two ideas were just <laughs> awful. Useless. I found a video the other day just of me in the studio and I was like, Oh God, no, what am I doing? But <laughs> I think I was just more in that. I should have just been enjoying the city rather than trying uh, to work. Cooked away. Um, but you find you find your process with it. It's funny. You kind of you can't explain why some days it clicks and some days it doesn't. Like Sunday, I came up to the studio to Hoover. Yeah. So I'm going to clean it mentally, prepare for the Monday, and I wrote a track in in like 45 minutes. Oh, and I and I was just a bit like, <laughs> and then I came up on Monday, and I was just beating myself up after like 20 minutes, mm. just going, oh, this I've lost it again. But I know, I know, I now understand it. I think when I was when I was a lot younger, I just used to have days and I'm like, I'm just rubbish, can't do it. And and then when it really takes a hold of you, it just it does flow. It comes out and it's um, you start to go, how did I make that? What did I do? And I look I look into the project and I'm like, what was I doing? Something just caught me like a sound. Yeah, and I just played with the arpeggiator, and then. Like this track I've just done the other day for Ninth House, I think it's going to Sasha's label. Oh, sick! And then literally just came in a day, and I'd I'd been like, I don't know, I'd had a really funny run actually. Yeah. Like I, I kind of down tools in December, just like quit, not quit, but like time out. Time out. Felt exhausted by it. Yeah, I kind of mm. felt a bit. I'd done I'd done a load of work up until end of November, and was really happy with it. Um, but it felt like a good time to stop. Yeah. Um, and then it took me a while to get back into it after the new year, but feels nice to be back now. Um, yeah, I can relate to that massively. I go through stages where I just, I don't stop. That's the thing that I think kills me is that I keep pushing and keep pushing and I'll eventually come up with something good, but it's still not coming from the right place. And then, then I'm like, okay, I just have to not do anything. However, if you're touring and everything like that, it's fine. It's easy. 
because I can go and do stuff. I can, whereas now there's only a certain amount of walking I can do. There's only a certain amount of like cooking I can do, which I think that's the thing I struggle with is like, I can't busy myself because I don't know about you, but like when your life revolves around really one thing, um, it's like, well, I just gonna have to try and do it again and keep going. Um, but you're right. It's, it's, it's very healthy to be able to just stop. Um, that's part of the flow, um, process. I mean, there's four stages and the fourth one is recovery. Yeah. So, um, so let's talk about this flow stuff. I want to know more. You talk, you kind of mentioned it a bit. What's what's it based on? Um, it's uh, I'd suggest there's a chap called Stephen Kotler, okay. who's uh, I mean I, I just it's something I've started reading up on more so in the last couple of weeks, and I've certainly been aware of it for a little while. But um, it is almost an optimum. Uh, an optimum state of mind. So in the same way of saying in the zone, I spoke to a really good friend earlier about it and he said, Oh, I know exactly what you mean. It's just, it's, it's at that point that time disappears. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of it is to do with your brain and, and, you know, you just fully focusing on something. Yeah. Um, So the first stage is struggle. So almost struggling to do something, now, what they're saying, I mean, Stephen Kotler was talking on this uh, podcast I was listening to the other day. It's, I had it with, with the track the other day. I came and I made more of a broken beat record. Mm-hmm. So it was doing something that was a bit different. Yeah. Um, I actually went downstairs after writing a few little lines and watched some TV for a bit. I then came back upstairs and I think almost subconsciously and without realizing, I kind of had gone through the stages of, of the flow. And then I came upstairs and for six hours, time disappeared. Yeah. And at the end of it, I was like, wow. And my wife came upstairs and she was like, uh, did you, like, you're not hungry today? So I'm usually, I usually make lunch. Yeah. And I was just like, I'm really sorry. I just went into the zone. Yeah. And it just flew out and it was, and but I've been better at sitting and relaxing afterwards. So in before, probably like last year, I think I was still kind of sitting there playing it relentlessly, playing mm-hmm. it relentlessly, trying to get a grip on it. I just switched the, the computer off at three o'clock and went downstairs. Um, and I, I had the flow period and then I went into the recovery period, yeah. which is the kind of like, okay, I'm going to do nothing now. And the subconscious is going to process what just happened, essentially. Mm. It's it's a state of mind where essentially your your brain, through doing certain things, will release certain chemicals to create this perfect nirvana. Yeah. Um, that and the reason that you cut off almost from your self, um, whether that's feeling hungry, thirsty, etc. Cetera, etc., cetera, is because all your computing power is focused on that task. That one thing. When yeah, you're yeah, when you're it's... in that when you're in that mindset is do, do, do the like the distractions like mobile phone emails etc cetera, etc cetera, that's just all gone. I mean, I didn't. I just didn't look at anything for yeah. There was no inclination to look at any emails or phone, and I just had my phone down. I'm quite good at creating the environment. I did notice soon on that happened to to 
to try and nurture some creativity. Um, it, it's the worst. I mean, I don't have notifications on WhatsApp on my phone. I don't have I don't have any notifications. Yeah. Um, you have to. I mean, I'm 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 old enough to remember a life before the internet and mobiles and definitely younger years i got to experience kind of a period of time when um we didn't have the distractions and i'm pretty convinced that we're losing a bit of imagination sometimes from being so automated towards these devices and i'm probably as guilty as anyone yeah um being on them because we're all human and susceptible to this it's a dopamine hit. It's just, it it's, it's a drug. It's, um, and I've corrected myself. I've started, I mean, I've been a lot better since Kona uh, switching Twitter off and Facebook and Instagram. And that's, that's been another thing. I think a lot of um, artists in our realm will understand and appreciate the idea of when you're in the studio, you're, having a break and checking Instagram, which is probably one of the worst things you could ever do. You I do it every day. Walk. I do it every day. <clears throat> I've got the habit. Oh, one second, mate. One second. You're a, bit, you're a bit all over the shop. There we go. I think you're back. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Go yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's really dangerous to do that. I think that it, it never worked for me. Um for, for for many reasons but um i think you need your brain to to go into a zone you need to create the perfect chance for it to you know yeah. you need four hours at least to go yeah. okay if i hit on a really great track or strand so you've got a baseline it just comes to you you're like great you've got the you then get the excitement don't you, you get the energy of going where could this go what could this be and jumping on that is the key thing and you know, I think with music, it's not just a case of like doing emails where you yeah. can just bang them out. Um, it's a whole other thing. I mean, one of the biggest things I'm a, I'm a father, um, yeah. I've got a little boy. And one of the biggest things has been getting my head around this new world that we're in and, and nurturing that, uh, ability to be able to write still. But, um, I'm pleased to say, I feel like I've done it. I've found like the, um, the space and the kind of, sort of start to find the information and um, understanding it a bit more. How long have you been a dad for? Three years now. Did you find when you became a dad, because I'm, I'm single and not got any kids or anything like that, but most of my mates that have had kids, obviously it completely changes your life positively. It just, everything's very different, right? It's not positive or negative. It's just very different to what, to what you're used to. Um, but I find a lot of my friends that, especially in this industry, that have had kids and their, what's the word for it? Their focus has like gone much more. Yeah. Like oh, my, totally. like my, my family take up, I have to give this amount of time to my family. And this small amount of time is my career. So I have to really focus in on what I'm doing. And generally they become a lot more successful from that. Oh, the focus definitely increased. It's having a finite amount of time compared to perhaps when I was, you know, 10 years ago living in uh, Clapton, East London, yeah. um, footloose and fancy free and uh, no real pressures and 
uh, yeah, I think the focus, it, it's, it's a different thing. I've, I've loved it. Um, the touring side was quite difficult yeah. to get my head around. Is, is that because, is that because you just want to be at home with your family or is that just because the, the like extra stress it's putting on your partner or like, what is that? It's a mix. It's yeah. a melting pot. It's the, uh, I have a very understanding partner, mm. uh, Karen and, um, it, a lot of a lot of it is you come back and you're exhausted. You just crossed yeah. a few time zones. I mean, I tried to remodel how I was I was touring in the states in 2019, but that started involving going to the states for a weekend. So oh. leaving Heathrow on a Saturday afternoon to play in Miami Saturday night, to then fly to San Francisco Sunday to do a gig to fly back Monday, and I very quickly realised I was like. Yeah, I'm not sure about not sure about this uh, this new model because I missed out on the kind of you miss out on the week in between. It's 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 um, it takes you from pillar to post. I like the way that bands tour. Yeah, I think there's something to be said for that. I think mm. the hamster wheel effect for yeah. DJs is quite it becomes cyclical and um, there's there's an argument of make hay while the sun shines but there's also the argument of having a sustained career and i, I do like the way that bands will kind of have their writing period or creative period have their recording period they'll have their you know release and then they'll tour it um and i think that feels like a more sustainable um model really yeah, the rolling yeah. stones still going at still the tender going. age of my 80 something you know my manager when i when I started working with him in beginning of 2019, he was like, we need to, we, he used to be like a huge agent in America. And, uh, he was like, we need to change your, your, your touring schedule. He's like, I get you want to be touring every weekend. I get that you absolutely love being on the road, but it's actually not, it's not good for you mentally, physically, and it's not good for your image. Like, you have to create a a need for people to want you um and by by being so readily available is actually not good on your career it's not good for anyone even though you're doing different cities all the time you eventually end up doubling up cities and things like that just because there's, there's not enough cities in the world to just keep going for that long yeah and 2020 we literally started that i had like a, a three-month tour and we were going to take like two months off now we've taken a year off um but it, it it feels so much nicer to be fair yeah limits limits uh i think you have to keep the excitement don't you i th i think we we started pushing back against some gigs um in the in the later years i think mm. that you start realizing that you know, leaving somewhere at 4am to get somewhere else and kind of spreading yourself too thin yeah. isn't as enjoyable. Um, so that's one of the things we started to do anyway was strip back and mm. we did, we did a festival in Montreal. Uh, we were meant to go somewhere else and we kind of got, we got a bit of stick of, about it at the time from like management and agent. I think they just wanted to get it done, Yeah, but we were like, why are we rushing off? Kind of want to enjoy Montreal. Yeah enjoy the experience of being there less is more i think and i think having an appreciation um is a really positive thing and a good thing to do you know no man i, I really do agree <laughs> with that i think 
maybe this time next year when we're back touring again, if we're back touring again, we might be having a different conversation and just going balls to the walls um, and completely ignoring everything we're saying right now. But I'd like to think that for me that I do that more. Uh, but for me, it's 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 more so getting in the right headspace to allow myself to do that because I'm very much like, I'm kind of the opposite to where you are is that like, I want to if I could play seven days a week I would play seven days a week if you know what I mean I don't know I don't know what it is I just always want to be doing and in my head if I'm always doing that means success to me and that isn't success I know I know physically and mentally that's not success yeah. um so it is about trying to or, or just doing it's not trying it's just being like okay this is my touring period this is my writing period and everything else enjoy like actually spend time in cities rather than not because i i don't i've toured all over the world and barely seen any of the world i used to be quite good at that i used to i used to all i used to love walking mm. it was one thing i could do well, I, I would run in some cities but um it's something I'd always try and push myself to do as much as I might be tired, jet lagged, et cetera. Yeah. I always thought Get out. Um, I can learn something from this city or mm. just from the experience. And uh, I kind of went with a lot of it. I was just like, yeah, let's go out. Yeah. You know, let's, um, let's do something. Cause you know, some cities, the promoter will want to hang out. Some cities, they won't They'll stick yeah. you in a hotel with you uh, kind of pizza and, <laughs> and that's it. But the cities that they did want to hang out it's met so many interesting people, really yeah. just such a breadth and saw some cool stuff, you know, particularly, I think particularly stateside is still always got, I've got such a soft spot for, I think, I think you just, build up a knowledge of it and you see it on the national news with regards to elections or yeah. who's in power. And I think there's definitely a kind of stereotypical view from uh, people like anywhere that haven't been there, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but having met so many amazing communities of people from Pittsburgh to yeah. El Paso to uh, Seattle to wherever that were just open arms and, and welcoming and, ended up lots of them ended up becoming friends you know it was it was kind of amazing to have to have that and that's something i I definitely miss but um at, you know certainly miss at the moment but um i think doing it in a more concerted way we were going over to the states a hell of a lot you know yeah. we were going once every we were doing like la as a city every every six months mm. which you know probably want to do it once a year really yeah. and just make it that's the occasion would you ever live there in america I used to want to, I used to, I think, um, I think I, I wanted to live in New York for years, but I, I felt like I got so much time there. I used to spend like two weeks at a time there. Yeah. Um, and rent a little room off, um, met this family through Airbnb who just ended up saying, Hey, look like cash in hand. Yeah. Do you want to just rent the room? And it was great because you soon realize you don't need a hotel room in New York because it's just a waste of money. You'll be yeah. out. Yeah. All the time. <clears throat> so, um, you obviously need a place to lay your heads. Uh, but yeah, and, and New York, I think, is a tough city. Um, of course, I would. If you could do it, it depends depends where you're living and what you're doing, of course, like anything, yeah. you know. Uh, LA, yes, if I didn't have to move or travel, yeah. basically travel around the city. It's awful. <laughs> well, I did. We based ourselves there when we just, when we had um, our son, 
we based ourselves out in LA for like six weeks okay. and I just did gigs. So um, went out to Den, flew over to Denver for Brennan, for Brennan. Uh, which was great fun. Um, and all over really. And that I didn't mind because it was literally, you know, it, it's the same as going from my house in London to Heathrow and, you know, you basically go to LAX and it's yeah. like, okay, Laurel Canyon to, to LAX yeah. done. You get any flight, you do it. And, um, tempting to, yeah, it's, it's, I like it. I mean, there's low, you know, you'll know loads of people mm. that I know that live out there. Um, it's cool. It's a cool, I mean, it's, it's a cool city. I never got on with it when I was younger traveling and I stayed in like a backpacker hostel. I mean, we, we stayed in the most, the worst hostels ever. I mean, some, you know, I went on a proper shoestring budget. This is 2005. Yeah. No, 2004. Um, and, yeah, we were staying off like Hollywood Boulevard and yeah. like the Sunset Strip and like, and then this backpackers hostel um, in Inglewood, uh, and they told us not to go out after nine, um, and it was like, oh, this this place is yeah. like super scary, but met so many cool Californians out there, and you, again, you, there's that kind of pastiche mm. kind of stereotype as well of like the Californian like being a bit kind of like cheesy maybe, and they're not. And no. it's like I say, it's been amazingly insightful because I've met just so many. I don't know. You, you get friends will be like, "Oh, but in America," and you're like, "Yeah, but it's not like that." No. You know, it's it's kind of like there might be certain places that are, um, but the cities are just you know so progressive, um, and mostly Democrat as well. Go figure. Pretty much. <laughs> let's be honest. Like, there's there's like even in Texas, like Austin is still a blue city. Really, I think. Yeah, I think it is. Um, and and to be fair, I'll be honest. Like, I don't want everyone to be on one side. I don't think that's healthy. I think you need controversy. Not necessarily. You don't need violence. You don't need any of that. But you need people to have different opinions because otherwise, you just it, nothing grows and nothing learns from each other. Yeah. Um, and I think America's have always always been an interesting an interesting country politically purely because it's so big and there's so many fucking people there you just you just can't it's the same in england like north and south very different views very different views um yeah. and th i think that's healthy that's what that's what breeds interesting situations but i totally agree i've i i've lived in america for a long time now and i've lived in la wasn't a fan and I don't think I'd ever go back to LA really. I spend a lot of time there, but where did you live? I lived in Silver Lake. Yeah. Or literally like the border of Silver Lake and Echo Park. So if I walked left out the door, I'd be in Echo Park and I'd walk right out the door. I'd be in Silver Lake. Um, Coronado Terrace. on Sunset. Pardon? Is that anywhere near the Dodger Stadium and Guisados? No, there fur it's further like down. Further yeah, it's further downtown actually. Yeah. So I, I was Coronado Terrace, just literally just off Sunset as well. Um, and I wasn't a huge fan. And I love going to LA because I've got a lot of, like, like you, got so many friends in the industry, so many friends outside of the industry in LA. And it's just like hot pot of just, it's beautiful weather, right? It's always beautiful weather. It's, everyone's generally always pretty happy because of the weather. Like you've got the beach pretty close. You've got the city. But New York for me is is the one 
if oh. it's the one man. It's got so much spirit and soul, and I'm a huge fan of a big fan of history. But yeah. that period in time of the sort of the art scene, yeah. um, that is just golden. Um, and I'm just so fascinated by that period of time. It feels like it was such a creative, amazing place to be. Yeah. Um, 1980s New York. It's it's. I mean, it's definitely changed a lot. I mean, it's... Um, Massively, yeah. I really enjoyed checking out Brooklyn, yeah. to be honest. Um, Manhattan, I really explored as well, you know, went up to Harlem and places like that. And I saw a Foles gig, actually. They were playing, and I it was on, like, 160... At the top. 7th Street, and, like, super up top, but this amazing old venue. Mm. Like, really, really special. Yeah. Old, old, ancient kind of venue. Um, but Brooklyn, like Red Hook, places like that, me and my yeah. friend went for a really good, uh, like lobster crab, sort of one of those fish places yeah. um, where it's just like, whoa, how much? Yeah. Like, all this, <laughs> this much money? Yeah. Like in England, this would cost you hundreds of pounds. Yeah. But um, it's this the character of it. I mean, I felt I used to find it quite depressing to come back to London after I'd been in New York because mm. I was just so infatuated with it. It's it's very strange because I find America so behind the times, but also there's something nice about that. And like I say behind the times, like you compare New York to London, their public transport is terrible compared to London transport. Like it's awful. But there's yeah. something that there's something gritty about that. You go into the subway in New York and it's it's disgusting. It's like a bit dodgy. It's a bit, you'll go through some stations, you're like, some shit's happened here. But that's that's what I love about it. Oh, it's raw. It, people, people definitely tell you what they think of you. It's like, yeah. it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's the epitome of capitalism in some ways, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. I, I found it, I mean, it, sometimes I, we took our son, um, and you can realise it's an adult's playground, but really. It's not the place to have a family or no. to take a kid because people just don't have time for you, don't yeah. have time for it. And we're talking in a in a kind of rush hour, mm -hmm. if you're on the subway at rush hour with like a kid in tow and it's and it's brutal. But then yeah. I think that's the same as London. You know, I suppose you get loads of northerners that go, oh, no one's friendly in London. And there's actually a load of people that are, but I think everyone's just on autopilot One to get jack. to where they're going. And yeah. that's it. When they're in the street, they are just like A to B, head down, get through it, yeah. do it. Um, so, it, yeah, it, it's great when you can kind of break it down a little bit more and you meet your friends and mm -hmm. you meet the people you kind of hang out with and you go on. I mean, I've had some amazing nights in New York, you know, ending up at uh, Soul Claps Bar. Yeah, what's it? Uh, Black... Black Flamingo. Black Flamingo, that's it. And uh, there's no regular game, um, no regular play yeah. guys um, who are just uh, amazing, like Greg and Nick. And yeah, like we all, oh God, just piecing it back together now. I think, we, I think we'd seen like Darshan uh, Dashani from Metro Area. Well, it might have been Morgan Geist, actually. He played, like, he played the Boaton. Yeah. And then we all went to the Black Flamingo and basically locked in there till about 6 a.m. And um, that sort of, those sorts of memories you look back on, you think that's just pure brilliance. Yeah. Always, almost reminded me of, like, East London, Dalston in its heyday of, I think Brooklyn's definitely had that 
totally. had that period of time and that that kind yeah. of romance about it because mm-hmm. just some of the places we used to play. I mean, I'm sure you did warehouse parties. We played for Gorgon City once on Halloween in the middle of nowhere in Brooklyn. And 99, it was, just was it like, 99 Scott? Maybe it's kind of like a weird warehouse. it's got like lights in there, warehouse. Yeah, yeah. 99 Scott. Oh my word! I mean, phenomenal. With like and some of the windows are smashed out still. When I played there, like the windows are like still smashed out, and you're like, okay, let's go, <laughs> let's do it. it. Was, it's wild, and you're just yeah. like, how how does this place exist? But mm. it, it felt a bit, yeah, it felt really special in that way. And maybe that was it because I think I'd done London for so long, yeah. and there was a real period when you know Dalston and all of that, and Shoreditch as well, and just before that. Um, was a great time to go out, you know, stuff like T Bar and then, mm. you know, uh, Secret Sundays, um, Molitova, all those sorts of parties. It, I think, it's thinking insane. back to it now, you go, Oh, actually, I can see how that makes sense to me because I think London got to the point where it was, it couldn't go any further. Yeah. It didn't have a Brooklyn to expand into. Brooklyn's huge, massive. It's massive. Whereas, <laughs> you know, once the Olympics came and we got to Hackney Wick. Yeah. That was the end of Hackney Wick. And because- and the thing with Brooklyn being so big, you can have Williamsburg that used to be rough. It used to be the artist area. Well, before the artist area, you wouldn't even walk around. And now it's more expensive than the city to live there. And it's proper like gentrified and hipster. But then you go to Bushwick and you just keep going out. And, out, and it just eventually you find somewhere that has something cool um you think of uh brooklyn mirage that's in the middle of fucking nowhere it's 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 literally like it's in bushwick have you been have you played there i don't think we have actually oh, no. dude, it's, it's the best venue new york's ever had it's like an outside castle pretty much wow. um in like the middle of an industrial industrial spot um but yeah, it's, there's nothing around there. But you can guarantee you in 10 years' time, everything's going to be around there. And it's going to be hotels and it's going to be hustling. And, and that's the joys of gentrification to a certain extent. There's pros and cons to it. Yeah. Um, but you're right. Brook, Brooklyn, America's so big that you can just keep expanding. Yeah. There's so much space. Yeah. So much. Um, I, I love it. That's, that's, that's the part of Detroit that I absolutely love being there is it's still kind of lawless to a certain extent. Um, there's new venues popping up left, right, and center. I, I literally got a, a message on Instagram from some dude in Detroit that just bought a new venue. And it's it looks like, you know, the opening scene of Blade in the first Blade when it's just this like dark, dingy warehouse. It's literally exactly the same as that. And I'm like, I cannot wait to play a party there. And they can open venues up a little bit illegally and there's not as much policing around it, which has its pros and cons. Um, But that's what I like about Detroit is that you kind of still get that rawness. And I think you're going to get that rawness for a while. Oh, excuse me. Bless you. (laughs) I got rid of it by doing a little, but uh, apologies. No worries. Detroit, I mean, it's, it's amazing. It was amazing to, we played with, Gorgon, yeah. Um, at Andrews, St Andrews. So it's kind of the place where Eminem started out. Eminem, uh, the shelter. 
I think it was St Andrews or it's like this old hall. Yeah. But I was really excited to be there. I mean, um, check that out. I think we played twice and once was with Gorgon there and then we played at the Grasshopper. Yeah, but Troy. Um, it, but that's it was, sold now. Troy sold it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, he drove me home, I think, actually. Nice, nice chap. He's like one of my best mates there in, in Detroit. I suppose it's a tough time. I mean, it's, um, yeah, on the, on the Detroit thing, beautiful place. Obviously, it was, you know, it was the richest city in America at one point, yeah. the car industry, and then all of a sudden, pff, um, mm-hmm. just, you know, plummeted, whatever. So they've got some of those beautiful old kind of buildings that New York's got. Unreal, um, it's just man. warehouses that are just, wow, this is insane. Like, it, it's it's got something that will, you know, it's and it's already starting to happen, you know, clearly yeah um, detroit's detroit city itself now especially now some money's being pumped into it although some people don't agree some people do agree with it you have the richest city, like you said it was the richest city in the whole of america from you had the motown days and then you had you had the car days and you had the hip-hop days and then you have the techno days and the techno days came from the poor days and now you've got all these insane buildings that were built during the motor days and during the during the uh, Motown days, and you've got these insane houses, and it's got so much. It's going going back to what you were saying about New York with the, like this rich history of so much creativity and wealth at the same time. Yeah, um, there is something beautiful about that place. I love. I went to the Motown Museum. Me and Matt from Gorgon went. I, I managed to convince him because now we go. got. I mean, the tour bus with them was one of the most amazing things. And, you know, really glad to say that they've become really good friends over over time. And probably since that, I mean, we kind of knew each other before, but nothing bonds you like a tour bus does. Yeah. Um, and I managed to just, like, nudge Matt and just be like, come on, dude, we're going. And he came with me. And I think he was pretty pleased he did in the end because it was phenomenal. I mean... They had a singing "My Girl" in Studio A. I mean, if if you were there, um, it was a real a real moment. But um, I only got to touch on the surface of it, but yeah. it, it was great. I missed out on the Heidelberg project and um, a couple of other bits that I kind of wanted to do. But yeah, definitely one of the highlights was was getting to experience it. I mean, I don't know anyone that's been to Detroit. Yeah. Um, in my friendship group, or I mean, even we went to Pittsburgh last year, or 2019, should I say? It's mad there. Feels like we lost the year. <laughs> um, Pittsburgh was amazing. Reminded yeah. me of Sheffield. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I spent three and a, three and a half years in Sheffield, being a student, whatever, and um, it was amazing. And just going to those kind of far off the beaten track places, and you can see something happening in Pittsburgh. You can kind of really see. The, I think the tech community starting to invest in the area massively mm. and um, bringing a new fortune about. But yeah. it's it's like you've seen it in a thousand movies. Yeah, um, it's got that sort of backdrop to it, and I think they do do a lot of filming there. But you look at it and you go, "I've been here before." But equally, we played at this great party, cool little collective of people, and it's amazing to kind of go in and identify like those crews yeah um, i suppose new york you just have a bigger you have m- many more of them um and just so much more going on i mean it's impossible to feel like you complete new york ever but then w- one thing i did realize after a while was you could stay there forever yeah and it's just going to change all the time which mm-hmm. is great but 
you're kind of doing the same stuff. Yeah. Which totally. is just drinking in bars or, you know, pub equivalents, yeah. eating out. Eating out. Record shop it and it and it becomes a bit it it did feel a bit transient after a while. I mean, definitely not good on the waistline. I've had to um <laughs> part of this lockdown has been uh trim it up. It, yeah, totally. Like, you know, cycling again, walking lots, running, um, you know, just doing some press ups, simple things really. Yeah. But I mean, the diet I was I had in the States was frankly horrific, but it, <laughs> I gorged on the I gorged best food on ever. So much amazing yeah. food. I mean, it's phenomenal. I mean, this, this oh god, it bring. I'm looking forward to going back. I mean, yeah. New York's about those little pockets and little like found a little Puerto Rican chicken shop yeah. in a like, Alphabet City way called Sylvia's, I think. Um, but then you've got the like nicest stuff like Mama Fuku and yeah, um, and it's just got a mix. It's for every. Every feeling, every budget, every time of day, you're just like, whoa, this city. And you just come across some amazing characters. I mean, there's... Just walking there's, down the street. Oh, my God. I mean, <laughs> some of the people you, you're exposed to has been quite funny. Like, people in mobility scooters with, like, massive sound system on the back of them just pumping some uh, biggie. And, um, yeah. And you're like, whoa, you just don't get this in London, no, really. No, really and don't. That's, it's one of the things I kind of miss... Like I think when when I used to come back from London, I used to be like, oh, it's a bit, it's a bit, it's a bland. bit small and bland. And, yeah. I, and then I, I kind of fell in love with London again. Um, and it and it did take me a while, but I was very, I, I was an ardent wannabe New Yorker for a bit. <laughs> well, I think the thing is, with although we all speak the same language, Americans in English are so different, so different. And I find the British are much more reserved until they've drank. And then when the alcohol's flowing, we're completely the opposite. But I think just the cultures in England is just so different to American. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah, those... I think I think there's more that binds us than separates us. But yeah, totally. Oh, 100%. More, more direct. And I quite liked that. And I quite like that. I Honesty. think it's no way you stand. Well, just, yeah, you can... Um, I think the... I think that if you tuck things away and don't deal with them, it's good for no one, really. Yeah. Not lose yourself. Um, so, yeah, they're quite forthright. I've actually just started watching The Sopranos again. I've never watched it. Oh. I've never watched it, and I always get destroyed from my mates for saying that I've never watched it, and I should. You're the second person I've spoken to today about it. Yeah, my friend I spoke to earlier, he's not watched it. Yeah. It's great. I mean, it's second time round for me, and I'm definitely seeing stuff that I didn't see before. Um, and it's it's a funny look back into kind of '90s culture, and just even in that short period of time, from a from a t- TV series point of view, how far we've come. Is it on Netflix? It is Sky. Ah, okay, it's got to be it, somewhere. I got to be able to buy it, it somewhere. I know it's a TV, but they're pretty forthright. I mean, they're pretty like. Um, They'll, they'll say to you. Yeah. I mean, the, the number of arguments you've seen in the street. Hey, oh, all the time. Hey, Joe Carth. Yeah, like, that was the worst American accent. I apologise, <laughs> American friends. Um, but yeah, the, I mean, they're just so much out there. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, look forward to going back when this all all changes. Yeah. Oh man, I can't wait. Um, what have you got planned, uh, music-wise? 
doing your your two things yeah so ninth house has been really fun um obviously uh kind of approached it again as a hobby Mm. so i think i was in the midst of music your your passion becoming your job so it's not i don't want to come across like i'm complaining about it being a job but it was it was more to reignite something and some creativity admittedly it kind of got a little bit lost and i think you're hemmed in a bit as an act once you're you've been around for a little bit and people expect certain things of you and you've got a fan base etc and you know that's ways and odyssey is is out and out house music yeah that's it ninth house was something that you know um it's kind of almost a bit where i was slightly before a bit before ways and ways and odyssey um used to work a lot with uh or like send records to dan uh dan avery you yeah. know we used to play we used to play football um and i'd always watched his career and just gone he's kind of gone that indie route mm. which is again mm. into bands and um wanting to be a bit diverse really to yeah. reflect the the wide palette we all have it nowadays but i'd always traditionally just listen to quite a wide mix of, of stuff when i was younger yeah um i think seeing what dan had done i was like wow you know um amazing and i and didn't want any pressure from it i suppose the other thing is 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 when you're in a project and you're it becomes a job it's uh you have there's like financial decisions to be made that can impact it's like yeah. do we do this gig or don't we do this gig um do we need to do this gig you know there's two there's two people in ways on the city you're paying you're paying like two wages yeah. essentially yeah. so ninth house was has just come from uh feels like a really good place you know and it feels very much like the early days of ways and Odyssey in some ways mm. um when so when there's talking... when the business isn't involved isn't it it's, the, it's it's going back to what we were talking about at the beginning is you're just creative yeah, there's no pressure. There's no, it definitely, we saw that with Ways and Odyssey, you know, at the beginning, it's just like, and we listened to some of the older stuff recently and wow, it sounds so, um, I wouldn't say badly produced, but kind of like it's rough and rugged and raw. Yeah. Um, but then as you go through it, there's more pressure because totally. you start being like, oh, is it good? And you overthink things. Whereas a total abandonment of the senses of regards to anything and also any trying to achieve anything. I just said to myself, I want a project that I can kind of really, you know, have for the next 40 years. Yeah. That's just anything it wants to be. I love people like, I think the obvious, very obvious examples, but people like Aphex, mm. people like Moby even, I would say Moby, all his early, early stuff. I think Moby kind of got a bit of a funny rap you know for whoever he is maybe now whatever but from a musical point of view all his early stuff was was amazing and so varied you know you've got that closing sequence from Scream the movie Mm. which is like a total band sort of chill out track his new album's amazing (laughs) as well I don't know if you've checked it out his new album's insane really it's like his old stuff it's unbelievable Ah, good tip. I need to check that. I mean, I I listen to a lot of his old stuff. Yeah. Um, and stuff like Bonobo as well, Fortet. They've all had these journeys with the Jamie project. XX. They've not maybe yeah. kept them on thing. They started with, you know, Kieran Hebden particularly, you know, very jazz sort of influenced uh, percussion that's like, that's real. Bonobo's almost gone more electronic. If anything, yeah. they've almost gone more electronic. To be fair, Bonobo was actually the last DJ that I saw, like that I actually just, spent time it was in new york went to brooklyn mirage i was 
I played a show in the day and I'd played Brooklyn Mirage like two months before and all the guys and girls at Brooklyn Mirage were like, come down to Bonobo. And I didn't know what to expect. I was like, he, I love his music, but I wouldn't want to see this in a massive club like yeah. being played because it's not me. He blew my mind what he was yeah. playing. Unbelievable, yeah. the stuff that he was playing. And I'm just like, wow, this is probably my favorite DJ set I've seen in years from just somebody that, yeah, he, he's amazing. Yeah, he's really. It's amazing what he's done with his with his career. Really, he started in Brighton. I mean, there was a, there's an old track that I came across the other day that uh, I used to listen to all the time in like 2000, and it's Bonobo Kota K O T A. And it you should listen to it because it sounds so radically different. But I love the progression. I love that there's like 20 years there, and you you're documenting something. You're putting something down. Mm. So that's Ninth House essentially. So having a bit of fun at the minute. I've just. Um, tentatively signed something to Sasha's label, which is really exciting. He supported some of the early bits. Uh, so this track Nova that I did the other day um, feels like that's been very natural. I've just uh, I've finalised an EP for DJ House, Hot House. Cool. His label is dope. I love, I love his label. Yeah, he's wicked. He's, he's been a very old, uh, a, a long-time friend, actually. Known mm. him for a very long time, back to his, back to when we first moved to London, like, yeah. really, 2006, seven. Um, But enough love for Rupert. Um, and Ludes is hopefully remixing that. And then Shall Not Fade doing another EP. So, cool. um, I love that label to... as well. I love that label. It's doing some really they, interesting stuff. They've just got all the kind of accolades that they deserve. Yeah. Um, I think in the last couple of... Uh, months or so people have really you know there have obviously been a beacon of just best practice yeah um, released some amazing music and it was great to do a record release the vinyl mm. um release so yeah taking it i mean there's there's a release with street tracks that's out on uh i think two weeks or a week's time i should know this cool. but again i've used my i played the bass guitar in one only to a kind of little basic level yeah um, and I use my voice in the other. Oh, I mean, amazing. I've been using my voice in in the tracks. I, I mean, it's been a confidence builder. It's been experimental. It's been really good to do to take myself out of my comfort zone yeah. from what I was doing with Ways and Odyssey. Um, I mean, I sent a track. There's a track I did called Zodiac, which Jamie Jones ended up signing. Nice. And I sent it to Jamie. And I was like, oh, I'm going to get someone to redo the vocal. He's like, no, keep it. It's great. And I was like, just literally, it was like an altar boy pitch yeah. down sort of vibe and it worked and i enjoyed writing lyrics for it um so that's been a bit of a journey of discovery and it's all based around space yeah and stars and ninth house is like a zodiac sign cool. for Sagittarius. so that's kind of where that because i think if i did a live show i think i see it as a live show essentially okay later down the line maybe yeah, like yeah. 10 years time a great excuse to get out of the house oh man um, live shows i think for me that's always been the goal is to be able to do a live show something about i think for me like growing up with faithless and chemical brothers they were kind of like the two that really kind of got me into it and both seeing them both live and you're like okay this is this is the when you're doing this you know you've done it if you know what i mean that was it for me basically i had that i had that kind of upbringing basement jacks faithless prodigy chemical brothers yeah and, and I suppose while we're on this point, 
all respect to uh, Matt and Andy from Bicep yeah. for the number two, because I think that's just going to inspire so many people. And they've done what the Chemical Brothers did, and that's to forge their own sound yeah. and to make it popular mm. rather than go, huh, what, what is everyone What's listening everyone to? Yeah. And that that is goes back to probably the start of the conversation that we had um, about creativity and believing in it and the passion for it. Mm. And um, it's so key. It, yeah. is, it, is, it is so key. I mean, and, and look at what they've achieved as a result. But Yeah, they've killed it. Maybe that time is coming back again of those live artists coming back. But it's, it's one thing I noticed. I mean, I, I think DJing had become, I'd wanted to challenge myself a little bit and to have the variety. Mm. Um, and so Ninth House, I thought, if this is a live project, that's cool. Um, and then moving back, Waze is going to be its own thing, a solo thing. Yeah. And uh, I've got some music coming. Um, and in the process of signing to a label, cool. but I, can't, I probably can't say yet. <laughs> so I've just got to wait a little bit and be patient. But that's really exciting. I kind of, again, new challenges. Are you going to go down the major route or non-major route? In that ilk. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Elevating the music a little bit. I mean, um, it's going to be club orientated, but it is going to be a bit more ambitious, I think. Um, and I think it's time to do it. I think it's it's the feels like the right time. And it took me a while to find out what ways would be. Yeah. Um, but in the last three months of last year, I really think I defined it, and it's been really exciting to hear the excitement for the for the tunes that the people have got. Yeah. Um, and just building a team around it at the minute. Um, so working towards, I suppose, better days. And But then, I mean, being honest, I do other bits in the industry. I've started uh, about a year or two ago, I started to move more industry side and okay. talent buy for music festivals and oh, cool. started, to, started to move into that world a little bit, which has been great because it means that you're not 100% on... Yeah. One thing. thing, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's it's uh, it's good, and I love the variation. You know, I do I do a few little bits and bobs, and you just if you just structure your time and you're kind of sensible with it, it it's I've become a lot better at focusing on one project. So yeah. I'm like, okay, this is the track I'm focused on. Not yeah. keep on writing every day, and ending up with reams and reams of music. Stuff. It's like this is the track I'm going to hone this for mm. four weeks. Yeah, yeah. And that's been the ways thing. The ninth house thing is a bit more. I'll just write when the mood kind of takes. But... When, yeah. No, I, I think I think being able to do different things is really key uh, for me. is has been a massive thing to be able to do things outside of music that also is a bit of a passion, and it keeps keeps things fresh in the studio. One hundred. I think even you know lots of younger acts. Um, I mean, we were both very lucky. We had a great touring schedule yeah. and and you know the, there's value in the in the in the brand names that we've been working under but really tough for emerging artists oh massively yeah and I, and I do say to to many and as what I'm doing myself as well is have other revenue streams yeah. have a have other income because totally. you have yeah. to yeah because going back to that kind of uh you know when we're talking about the making creative decisions but it's your career and yeah. it's paying the bills that's a really weird place to be. And I think that if you want it to be the best it can be, 
it's better to have it unadulterated, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and that doesn't mean you have to go and work in a kitchen where, you know, you have to think of things that fit in around what you're doing. Yeah. So you could go and you could learn about music publishing. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. But you're a producer. Mm-hmm. If anything, that's amazing. Yeah. You could go and you could radio plug records yeah. for a promotions company. You could go and you could club promote. You know, you could you could do all manner of things. And in some ways, I suppose I've done that in my career a lot. I've worked in radio. I've worked in clubs. I've worked as a flyer, you know, when I first started out. But the best thing about it is you accumulate knowledge and information. Yeah. And you accumulate uh the ability to understand how the industry works and the different yeah. functions, because it is a very set kind of way of doing things. Like, you know, again, going back to what we said at the earlier part of the conversation, you know, about JVs on mm. club shows and promoters and splits, you know, you what's, what does your agent do? Yeah. What does your manager do? What's your publisher responsible for? What's your label responsible for? And it takes a while to uh, kind of get that knowledge, but the only way you get it is from, learning doing it yeah. and understanding it yeah so yeah. um i think i suppose if anything through all of this um i think it's promoted people to have other kind of secondary interests and then you know when you have these kind of you can see with you said you're having a, an issue with like a split and mm. like a disagreement or kind of like a debate it just doesn't become it's not the everything no, it's, it's not people, the end of the world and it's maybe something I've probably been guilty of it in my time when I was younger, definitely of just thinking this is everything like, Oh, what's gone wrong. They've, they've spelt our name wrong on the flyer yeah. or we're not billed properly. And it's like, I mean, I'm sure I did it. I'm sure I did. We, it. All, we all have, we all have, because at that time that's so important to us and it's absolutely fine. This is, that's okay. That's nonsense, isn't it? When but you it, look back, you just go, and you get it, but it becomes, I mean, I feel, you know, working with this music festival, um, the conversations that I'm a party to yeah. and that I have to mediate mm-hmm. to get stuff done, just to get a flyer made up. Yeah, oh, mate. I, I mean, I couldn't even imagine it. Off. Yeah, I couldn't even imagine it. I, I, um, I literally got a flyer today, not today, uh, last week of um, a festival that I'm, that's being announced. And, my billing's perfect and then there's a few other people on the same same lineup and like i know that my team beforehand would be kicking up a fuss that they're on that the same line and i'm like no it's great that they're on the same line it they're they're my mates i want them to be on the same line and i think it's just that mentality of like we're all in it to fucking we're all in it together we're all trying to get to the same thing if if this person next to me gets there before me i know they're going to help me if i get there before them i'm going to help them and it goes back to that community thing the, the whole industry is one big community you have to help each other out and you have to take the egos out of it because that's all it is it's either the artist's ego, it's either the manager's ego, it's either the promoter's ego, it's either the agent's ego. That's all it is. And egos don't get you anywhere. No, because like in the case of the music producer helping the band, it's mm. the ego that's driving the decision. If you look into, you know, brain psychology yeah, um, and how strong that ego voice is, the internal monologue, no, you're not wrong. You're, you keep to, you don't back down over this. If, 
it's nonsense. It's a waste yeah. of time. It's friction. Um, I mean, nowadays, generally, people are A to Z. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it just saves a lot of a lot of hassle. But that's why you've done Ninth House, isn't it? Because um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not stupid, there, man. You're at the top. <laughs> a, a little, uh, well, yeah. I mean, cynically, I mean, I love that. I mean, I obviously love the name, and and it, yeah. it kind of presented itself that it was a number, and I was like, oh, well, this is kind of <laughs> because yeah, you, you know, all the 80s Z stuff, but. Um, yeah, I think hopefully we can eliminate some of that. I think there is a tribalism with regards to... I think the best, the, the most fun time with Ways and Odyssey was very much the beginning in those first couple of years because we'd be on bills with everyone from Bicep to Lofa mm. to Mosca to George Fitzgerald to Shadowchild to Huxley to I all that dusky. Yeah. And then it went really kind of tribally mm-hmm. around 2015, 2016, maybe. Yeah, massively. And and all the music, it was, you know, we were playing in clubs and we always felt like we stood out a little bit and we weren't. And that was probably sometimes to our detriment because yeah. we were a bit like, we were a bit maverick. Mm-hmm. We didn't just play two hours of tech house that no. bounces up and down that some people just want to see and that's fine. Yeah we tried to challenge people yeah. really. And, and sometimes it worked, sometimes it maybe didn't cause it was, it was maybe lost on some people, but there was times when we were going to gigs and it was like, it was just the same stuff mm-hmm. like all night. And yeah. you just think like, if, if I'm here for four hours and I'm hearing the same thing, then what's it like for the people that are here for six hours or eight hours yeah, or whatever? I, agree. I, 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 I totally agree with that. And I also think or feel that we're still in that lull of it's a it's it's turned very clicky on what what you play and not necessarily and what you make it's not necessarily about the artist being artist and being allowed to do what they want to do it's this is what we do we we are a tech house night we are a techno night we are a, whatever we are if you know what i mean not going Ah, oh, let's book these people. They could be really interesting. They could bring something completely different to this party that will bring more people to this party, more different people to this party, and also give our normal people that come to the party a really interesting night. Yeah. And sometimes we're, it's gonna it's it's not gonna work. Sometimes yeah. it's gonna screw up. That's what I loved. I used to work. Um, I used to do the podcast, run the podcast that we love Sundays in space. Oh wow. Um, and like I worked with the with the guy that that kind of started it there the uh, the podcast and Mark Broadbent is a is a uh, buyer during that time for space it was just f- for me hands down still the best night ever because you would have Grace Jones to disclosure to James Abila, Paul Wolford, like all these so different acts all on the same lineup. And one, like, it was always different. Every yeah. DJ set, Carl Craig in the main room, Claw yeah. Von Stroke playing before Carl Craig. Like yeah. when, where, where does that work? And it doesn't. Yeah. 
but it does because it doesn't work. And I think that's what I was trying to get at at the beginning of this conversation when we were talking about door splits and things like that. It allows promoters to book interesting parties. It's one thing, I mean, stride for it with the with the festival I booked for and, mm. and I do get questioned on it, like what that doesn't work musically. And I'm yeah. like, no, it's not meant to. Yeah. But that's the whole point. It's for the audience, not for it's not for the artist. Which is so weird. If you think about booking for a festival, no let's take out Redden and Leeds because they're majority a, a rock concert. Not anymore anymore, to be fair, but they used to be. But Glastonbury doesn't just have rock all day long on the main stage. Yeah. They have everything. They'll, yeah. they'll have Chemical Brothers. They'll have Faithless. They'll have Adele. Pet, Pet Shop Boys. Stevie Wonder. Yeah. Yeah. Like, but for some reason in the electronic world, we have to have a drum and bass arena. We have to have a techno arena. We have to have a commercial house arena. We have to have an EDM stage. Why? Yeah. Why? Why, why does the club nights have to be like that? The whole, the, and this is the one thing I like about America. I don't necessarily think they do this, but the, the people, the club goers in America do it to themselves. So they go to a festival and they won't just stay in one tent. They will literally go to every, you'll have somebody that likes Seth Troxler that then also likes Tiesto. You don't yeah. really get that in the UK. It's mad, isn't it? Yeah. We played a lot of those festivals in the states, and mm. it's 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 interesting actually the 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 breadth of music that people are into yeah. over there compared to the UK. But you're exactly right. I mean, I think from my point of view, it feels like it challenges both. Well, it, it challenges the artist coming on after yeah. the other DJ set because they have to instead of just knowing the run of the mill. Um, sort of okay, I'm playing after my mate. We play after each other all the time. You kind of know the know the drill. Yeah, it's good to take people out of the comfort zone a little bit, I think. Mm-hmm. And and the you know it challenges them to perhaps put over a different set or a different mm. different sound for that night or totally. take risks that they're not normally used to. Totally. Um, but yeah, variety I think is the key, and I think that is what is missing a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, in some of it, it's just all the same, and it's you know six hours of that. Yeah. Fuck that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. Some of the some of the lineups we just used to be on were phenomenal. It was just such a. Like we played after Lofa once at Sankey's, and I think Mosca played after us, and it was just like the weirdest. Amazing, yeah, amazing. The weirdest sandwich. We were playing like classic house, and he was banging. Lofa's like, "What's this record? I've got this. <laughs> it's amazing." And Mosca came on afterwards, and you know, he, and and it all flowed into one, and like so different really yeah that's that's why i've actually started doing open to close shows in america um because i can do that and you get some weird looks i I, i'm not gonna say the club but i was playing an open to close set in america and i was playing I, i usually play like some like burial stuff at the beginning and then sometimes i might go into like some jungle and then i'll go when when the club's full i'm gonna go into my house stuff and the owner of the club was just like giving me shit for playing drum and bass at the beginning and i'm like dude this is that they're enjoying it why why do you have why do i have to play house 
He's probably projecting or something that's going, well, it's going to scare people off. But... No, what it is is that he's got a few bottled people that's, that buy bottles from him in his VIP area and they don't they like get, drum and bass. Don't. Yeah. I don't give a fuck. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not here to, 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 to please your bottle servers. Just because they got more money doesn't mean that everyone else has to not, in, not have an experience. Yeah. Um, so I carried on playing it. <laughs> Got to I mean, it's. It, I love those open to close sets. I think we d- we did a couple as ways in Odyssey actually in the UK. I think did we do one? Well, I've done one one or two in the states, but amazing. I mean, because I, I I don't. I started off as a warm up DJ, yeah. so my background is when I was twenty, maybe I got a residency at a club in Sheffield called Pinup Club. Yeah. Um, and used to warm up for people like Nick Fanciulli and Youssef and Wolford and uh, Milo and all sorts of people. And I love the warm up. I mean, yeah. I kind of I missed it a little bit when we went into kind of headline territory, uh, headline slots. Yeah. Um, and the longest slots that we've had, like I played at Deep Space for Francois K once mm. upon a time, twenty fifteen, nice. and it was on the Gorgon City tour. It was just me, um, and it was amazing. I mean, I learned so much. It was, it was great. You know, we, I started, I think I played for like four hours in the end. He was late coming back off a flight from Japan and had to play a bit longer, but it was a proper, proper education. Yeah. In, like the music's quite low when you start off and mm. it's so low BPM, but they're, they're my favorites. Those ones when you have like, you know, a couple of hours, Panorama bar, another one, you know, four, four hours. I've never done it. Never, oh, never. I feel very lucky that at the very beginning of Ways and Odyssey, we got to do it about six times, I think, oh, six or seven times. And oh, I feel so blessed just to have had that period of time yeah. um, in that institution. Lovely people, mm. um, very much stay in touch with everyone there. And, um, you know, Andy Baumacher used to, used to book us um, back when he was doing the bookings. But nerve-wracking. Uh, I mean, the first time we did it, we did it with Bicep. And they played first thing in the morning, and I think they threw up because of the nerves. Yeah, and I found it equally as terrifying, <laughs> and that I think I was just in a zone and just basically like going, "Don't mess this mix up, whatever you do." And then by the third or fourth time, it was it was just flying, yeah. and we were having friends coming over to Berlin with us and just to kind of check it out. And it's just an unworldly place; it's amazing, but. That again, I mean that that was one of the inspirations for Ninth House really is to is to Bring take a panorama bar approach with it, you yeah. know, variety. I, I think it's key, man. I I really do think it's key. And you're not the only person that I've spoken to that feels exactly the same about having variety in, in their career. And for me, I'm I'm trying to do that as Will Clark and trying not to go down the like alias route. And I think it obviously takes time, um, but if it happen, if it works, then I'm happy. I'll be happy that it works. Um, I think I think it's key. It, it's the only way that keeps keeps all of us sane, really. I think you just have to simplify. I think you make dance. You know, you you want to gig, so you yeah. need to be making. You know, you make your dance music that makes people dance. Yeah. What what that is could be anything, totally. and you know look at the changes and the swings and shifts in music i think i think it's it's interesting when people ask you what genre do you play and it's like well 
or what 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 would you describe your sound and i'm like just good house music that's people it. are kind of obsessed by the genre thing yeah but what is it and you're like it know. doesn't matter it no. could, i could just I, you could just say it's anything i'm just gonna start saying edm and just look at their reaction and just see you're just like (laughs) what what is it i mean the the tags it's it's usually i get it it's usually journalists and it's usually when there's a new wave of something that's actually not new it's just it's something that's getting relabeled and it's relabeled and it's it's like the whole deep house thing and and lo-fi and stuff like that techno you know i mean we we had a (laughs) we played in ireland i won't say where i mean yeah it was all right it wasn't wasn't the best to be honest but we played in Ireland and this guy came up to us and was like can you play some you know we we're playing relatively tough and he's like can you play some of the proper techno <laughs> and he was kind of meaning like drum code and, and all love to drum code and everyone but it's obviously got its kind of identity now yeah. and it's it's a certain thing and it was it just became a thing it was having its moment yeah. before all of this and that's that's what he thought represented proper techno, yeah. whereas for me it's probably you know those old kind of masters. Mm. Uh, the, the it's interesting. School. It's funny that because I, I had I had a similar situation in Florida somewhere. In it was bumfuck middle of nowhere. I absolutely, <laughs> absolutely love it. But I had this girl came up to me and was like, "Can you stop playing?" This was years ago as well. Can you stop playing Dirty Bird techno? And I'm like what's the what's dirty bird techno and she was like can you just play some proper techno and i just handed her my headphones and i was like go for it you you go and play if if you if you're if you're this if you if you're if you have a better idea of what i should be playing right now then here's my headphones and crack on and then she shut up <laughs> always a backseat driver isn't there somewhere i just I love lights. it i love it sit down be quiet yeah. no i mean you, you you're willing to take on ball comments but Usually it's like Deborah and accounts or something that's on a one night out of the year. No no disrespect if you call Deborah or you work in accounts. I've got many friends that crunch numbers, but it's just an example. Yeah. An offensive one that I'm picking out nowhere. But it generally does, it's the loudest person in the room sometimes isn't the one you need to listen to. No. Just because they're vocal. We've had it with gigs and we used to have it kind of would surge when we do a gig and he's like oh someone's asked for this i'm like it's one person yeah out of 600 <laughs> loads yeah. like you know like it's the people that are just quietly enjoying it yeah you change it for that one person changes it for everyone and then everyone way. else is like oh yeah. what's going on there yeah and i think you just be true to yourself you know you know after a while you know what you're doing and um you just have to have a bit of confidence and faith and and some people can be quite annoying sometimes you know especially if they've got a drink in them um and they're relentless you know yeah. i think we've had it with, we've had some pretty intense kind of uh characters kind of um harangues for, to play a certain track or just and, and you know they mean well they're just very excited but yeah of course you, know, you, you kind of have to have your blinkers on a little yeah. bit i think sometimes and just I, go well we know what we're doing and and you know, not that we ever followed any set formula with our sets. Yeah. It, was, it was very ramshackle sometimes. Like, yeah. I didn't have a clue what either of us were playing. Yeah, That was the brilliance of, of Ways and Odyssey, I think. It was a kind of quite a maverick, maverick little unit for a while. Um, and there was a real amazing period, you know. Mm. But, uh, like, not knowing what surge is going to drop. It's beautiful. Um, you know and you'd suddenly you suddenly hear what's dropped and you're like oh okay i was thinking about lining this up but now i'm going to go for this track yeah. 
and that's what I mean about the the variety and the challenge. Keeps you know, it fresh. People... Keeps everything fresh, man. It keeps you on your toes as well. Yes, definitely. Different, and that kind of plays into the flow thing of like your pattern behavior and what what the patterns that go through your brain. If you do something slightly different, it opens up other patterns of ch- channels of thought. Totally, man. Which I think is really interesting, especially from a DJ point of view. Yeah. You go, oh, like how have I ended up here? But it's brilliant, and they've gone nuts for it. And yeah, you know, it's the best, man. I, I look forward to those moments when they come back. They'll be back, dude. They'll be back. Uh, we've just done two hours. Wow. I know. I don't know Who how that? that has just happened, but we've just done two hours. Um, so let's wrap this one up. But before we wrap up, how can people follow you, check your music out, et cetera, et cetera? Um, all the regular. So Ninth House, at Ninth House Music on uh, Instagram and SoundCloud. Um, Ways underscore music on soundcloud and instagram but uh yeah have a listen looking forward to seeing putting the ways music out there i think it's been a slight long time coming um i mean because we were an amalgamation of two really so it's it's been quite funny to we kind of wno was going so well and just yeah uh it it just flowed but it'll, it'll be interesting to kind of yeah put put this music out and it feels really exciting so man i can't wait to hear it um keep safe and hopefully we will be in a club soon or meeting in the uh embassy the american embassy yeah my visa's in the process of being done now so maybe (laughs) yeah well fingers crossed i'm gonna wait for mine until um until it's open again we get back to it yeah Mm. yeah i don't blame you don't know when that will be probably next year i reckon mine's I have to just do mine. Mine runs out in September, but I was thinking if I do it now, it means that I can actually go back to my house if I need to and not have yeah. to worry about getting stuck anywhere. Yeah. Um, but yeah, keep safe, man. And, uh, Me too. Lovely and, to chat to yeah, you. Really you too, nice man. To catch it's been, up. been really nice, man. Keep safe and I'll see you soon. Big love. Thank you. Much love. Take care. And that is a wrap. It was amazing. I loved it. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Keep safe. Please share it with all your friends and your family, whoever you feel would like it. Give us a little review. Um, Also, don't forget to listen to my new record. Big love. Keep safe, people. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.